only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit And now, a special motorcycle weather report from Progressive. Well, today you can expect lots of cloud cover with 0% chance of raining on your parade because you'll be riding your motorcycle vroom vroom. That rumbling low-pressure system beneath you should give way to a relaxing commute and a sudden urge to take the scenic route everywhere you go because, dang nabbit, you're having fun out there. That's your forecast. Back to you. This has been a special motorcycle weather report from Progressive, where every day's a beautiful day to ride with coverage from America's number one motorcycle insurer. Get a quote today and see what you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On The Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we're going to get into a lot of topics on tonight's show, including the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who are seeing a lot of interesting trends with their players right now. Some of the prospects that got off to slow starts are starting to pick things up. And some guys that may have flown under the radar a little bit coming into this year have been key contributors to them of late. We're also going to talk about the success of Cade Povitz and how he is performing at Double A Bowie. But first, we're going to shout out a new member of our Patreon community, as we do every episode. We have a new member to welcome. And for that, I'm going to turn it over to Bob. Yeah, we got a new patron uh, signed up for a whole year at the AA level, Praveen George. Thank you. Welcome aboard. Hope you enjoy your stay. And uh, maybe you'll get up to AAA or the majors in a year or two. Thank you, Praveen, for your support. And as a reminder, you can sign up for Patreon for as little as $3 a month and have access to our WhatsApp group and get your shout out on the show. And then at the $5 and $10 levels, you can have access to exclusive content, including daily recaps, as well as monthly Top 50 Prospect updates. And when you tune into the next monthly Top 50 Prospect update, you might have some things uh, change as far as players at Aberdeen are concerned because there are some players who got off to slow starts that are starting to pick things up. And we saw this over the course of last week, which is an interesting week for the Ironbirds. On one hand, they ended up with a split at home against Hudson Valley, a team that had beat them pretty bad in April when they went up to New York to play them. On the other hand, the first three games for Aberdeen were all victories, and they outscored Hudson Valley by a combined 17-4 to in those contests, with a lot of good pitching performances coming as well as offensive performances. And one of the guys we're going to talk about a little bit tonight is Frederick Ben Cosme, who in April had a little bit of bad luck, which was something we had talked about on the show. And in the month of May, he had really started to pick things up, a trend over his last 11 games. He has slashed 378, 439, 622, and that was coming into Tuesday night's game. So the stats would be updated by the time you listen to this, most likely. But Ben Cosme starting to pick things up. So, Nick, I'm going to turn this over to you. Just we'll focus on Ben Cosme for a minute first. His walks to strikeout numbers all year have been really good. He was having bad luck on balls in play. What do you think has been the difference maker for him over the last two weeks? 
I mean, it's he's got this highly graded hit tool that he had uh, for years now, and he's just starting to show it. I mean, he's a 20-year-old kid, basically. So he doesn't turn 21 until Christmas. His birthday is on Christmas Day. So, I mean, he doesn't turn 21 until Christmas. He is a like, gift. <laughs> literally. Um, like, I wasn't expecting to see this kind of production from Ben Cosme, to be honest, it, that we've seen the last couple of weeks just because he is 20 but the Orioles have been super aggressive with him. I mean, he only played two games in the FCL, 59 games with Delmarva last year before getting promoted to Aberdeen at 19. And now, like, I, I wasn't really shocked at all by his start because he is so young. And that was last week when we talked about, like, park factors. And it turns out Aberdeen doesn't really have those, like, extreme park factors that we kind of thought they did. It's kind of more, a little bit more balanced. But I had talked about how, you know, for the college guys, this is their first full year in pro ball, typically when they're reaching Aberdeen. And for the younger guys like Ben Cosme, the international players, they're so young because the Orioles are being so aggressive with them. And so you're 19, 20 years old facing high A pitching. He's, what, two and a half years younger than the competition in high A? Yeah, I think he's just he's settling in. I mean, he's got a 15% walk rate, which is absurd. Um, that's up from like 10 or 11% he had in Delmarva last year. And I know he hasn't hit a home run yet. And I know the national media kind of caught on to Ben Cosme kind of midway through last year. And the one thing you kept seeing was he's got to hit for power. He's He's got to tap more into that power to kind of separate himself and start moving up these like, prospect ranks. The ISO's up. I mean, the ISO is, is like 40 points higher compared to what is what it was in Delmarva. So he doesn't have the home runs, but he's got seven doubles. He's got two triples. He's hitting extremely well uh, right now, and I, I think this is what we saw in Delmarva. It just took him a little time to to settle in. It's despite what you see kind of on social media with the Orioles fans and prospects, a little patience goes a long way, and we're seeing that with Ben Cosme. Yeah, I think I might have. I don't know if it was here on the podcast or on the WhatsApp group, but after those first few weeks, I was like, you know, he's not really striking out, and he's walking a lot. And his BABIP is so low, I think it's it's going to turn around. And then, boom, he's he's gone crazy ever since then. But it's I think it was he was being too patient in the beginning of the year. I mean, he had a 19% walk rate, but just was not hitting for average or power. Uh, then all of a sudden, his walk rate over his last 13 games is 11.5%, same as his strikeout rate, which is pretty darn good. And all of a sudden, he batted 349 over those 52 plate appearances. So I think, you know, he's he's a free swinger who can walk. But at the same time, like, that's his best tool is that just pure hit tool. So I think he was just uh, maybe being a little too patient. But now he's he's free swinging again and, and hitting the ball over the field. Yeah, it felt like early on he was seven bad luck on balls in play. And what's interesting to me is you're now in 100 plate appearances on the season. 15% walk rate, 16% strikeout rate, and a 110 WRC+. Plus. And I feel like with Aberdeen hitters, you really have to look more at the underlying metrics than you do the raw home run total. Um, Nick just brought up his ISO. The WRC+, plus would be another metric that I would look at, too, to figure out Ben Cosme is hitting the ball harder. He is you know, more valuable of a hitter now in terms of run production than he was last year at Aberdeen. It's just it's not going to show up in the home run power because he's 20 years old at high A and Aberdeen's not an easy ballpark to hit home runs in, especially when you're a guy like Ben Cosme who sprays the ball all over the field. You know, he's not a dead pool hitter, and I don't know that he ever will be. But you can look at the underlying trends and feel like, okay, he's doing the things that he does well this year, but you can start to see signs of improvement in the power. And Let's face it, if he has those good bat-to-ball skills with a high walk rate as a second baseman, how many home runs does he really need to hit? You know, 15 yeah, to 20 when, in a good year is probably enough for him to be an everyday second baseman in the major leagues. Yeah, when Connor Norby was drafted, I think people were saying 10, 15 home runs a year, but he's going to give you a good batting average. Well, we see that that's definitely gone up, uh, the power numbers since then. And I feel like Ben Cosme, he's tall, he's lanky, he's got the frame, I think – well, six feet, pretty tall for a baseball player. He's got the frame to add a little bit of power. I think he did add some muscle over the offseason. I, I think he's going to be fine when the, from the power department, maybe like a 30 doubles, 10 home run, 15 home run type of guy. But as long as he's 
slashing the ball over the place and can take a walk. And I think his fielding has improved a little bit too this year. So I just think maybe once he gets to Bowie, we might see a little bit more of that home run power. And at this point, I'm I'm thinking he'll get to Bowie this year. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how many of those. He's got seven doubles, and I don't know off the top of my head. Like, I feel like there's a lot of games at Aberdeen we don't get to watch because some of these high A clubs don't have you know any broadcast. But how much of the how many of those doubles are like deep fly balls, doubles to the wall? Like, so how many of those doubles could turn into home runs if he's in a better ballpark, better hitting environment, and as he does continue to fill it? Because like I said, he's only 20 years old, so. And Bob was right. He does look a lot bigger. He looks uh, a lot more muscular this year, and which, I mean, didn't take much when you saw him last year. He's a skinny beanpole. And, I mean, now you're like, he's going to continue to develop physically. And so if that happens, maybe the, those doubles start do start to turn into home runs a little bit more, and you start to see that power. I, that's the one thing that kind of concerned me is like, all right, he's so young for the level. But also, like, are the Orioles going to try to say, like, hey, you've got to start lifting the ball more. You've got to start. Let's start focusing on trying to get more home run power. Maybe something like the early, early days of this podcast when it was Ryan McKenna. You know, what's wrong with Ryan McKenna? And it was like, well, are the Orioles trying to turn him more into a power hitter? And now he's just kind of losing it. I almost was wondering, like, are they going to try to do that with Ben Cosme or just let him continue raking? And he's clearly they're just letting him continue to rake. And I don't really necessarily think he needs the home runs even like kind of, kind of like Bob talked about because he's got speed. He's fast on the base paths. He's super athletic. He can get you 30, 40 doubles in a season. If you're walking at this rate that he's doing and you're not striking out, like he doesn't strike out, you don't need the home runs. And it seems like at this point, they're just letting him add that strength and let that add some impact to his game, get the exit velos up. And honestly, the way this team has developed, this organization has developed players and hitters especially, wouldn't surprise me if, you know, once he gets used to that added strength and he does eventually start lifting the ball more and who knows at that point. But, uh, at the, yeah, at this rate, I think he's fine just playing his own game and it's worked so far. You know, he's still ahead of the curve big time, so it's it's all good. There's more individual performances to dissect with the Aberdeen. But right now, the Iron Birds, as of Tuesday night, their game in Winston-Salem is currently in a delay. When you look at the standings, things aren't that impressive for them, 13-8 and coming into the week. But they're coming off a pretty competitive series against a good Hudson Valley team at home. Jackson Holiday is there and pretty much off to as fast of a start as you could have asked for for him at high A. So, Bob, just looking at the Iron Birds overall, do you feel like that this is a team that could be on the upswing a little bit now that not only they have Holiday, but that some of the guys who we penciled in for good seasons coming into this year are starting to produce? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think especially, you know, Holiday, he might be just a spark plug for a couple of weeks and then off to Bowie at this rate. I mean, the kid is unbelievable. But, yeah, I think it was just a matter of that offense. Like we talked about with Ben Cosme, this is still like a lot of young guys, first time in full season ball from from the get-go from the jump from last year's draft and and guys like Isaac DeLeon and and Big Cosme they are super young still and you know learning at this level slow starts for a lot of guys like Fabian and Max Wagner had a very slow start um you know that that got them off on the wrong foot but the pitching's been great for the most part and I think as the offense heats up then the wins are going to start piling on because the, the pitching has really the offense only needs to score like three to five runs a night and they should be good to go. Yeah. The the pitching as we'll get into has just been flat out dominant. A lot of guys here that should be in Bowie pretty soon, but yeah, I mean, you just look at some of these other guys too, like with Aberdeen injuries, haven't really been a concern either. They got Ryan Higgins and Reed Trimble on the IL right now, as far as hitters are concerned, that's it. Uh, I don't think any pitchers have been added. No, no pitchers have been added to the IL since the start of the season in Aberdeen. So they're a healthy group. You mentioned Judd Fabian's kind of slow start. I think we'll talk about more guys who are off to improving starts to this year. Beavers and Fabian, I don't think, really fall into that category. They've kind of had reversal this month where they had good Aprils but kind of subpar Mays. But I think those are just two guys who are, you know, the league has adjusted to them, and now it's time for them to adjust back. And so we know Dylan Beavers is going through the 
pretty notable swing adjustments. And I think it was John Mioli at the Baltimore banner was kind of going to do a series kind of following Beavers throughout the year, chronicling those changes that the Orioles are making with him. So I think Beavers in his own right is kind of a bit of a project pick there and Fabian as well. It's, you know, I think Fabian's going to have like a Connor Norby type season in Aberdeen where we look up in a couple of weeks, maybe like a, you know, two months or so from now and he's getting promoted to Bowie and you look at the numbers, you're like, wait, why? Why is he getting promoted to Bowie? It's because the underlying data all says a completely different story. Kind of look at Connor Norby's numbers in Aberdeen. Not that great. Gets promoted to Bowie. Has a fantastic season. It's not concerned about either of those guys, but I think the bats are just starting to settle in. Everybody's healthy. And yeah, it's this team is a, you know, it was, I think the bats were kind of like the, one of my favorite positional groups in this organization to begin the year because you had all those college draft picks. But the pitching, kind of like last year, you don't really have a lot of the big names, but the pitching has turned out to be uh, pretty spectacular for this Aberdeen roster. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. You know, we've been following, the obviously, the minor leagues this whole past few years, and, and right now it's in a weird spot where all these guys raced up to AAA, and now they kind of have hit the brakes right there. So it's kind of left a little bit of gap in AA and, and high A where – it's like double A's lineup is is a little weak right now, um, but who's gonna come up and help them out? Even with Aberdeen, there's not any like slam dunk promotion candidates other than maybe one or two. But it's just interesting now that the international guys are are coming up and performing well in low A, and hopefully they fill that gap in a little bit over the next year or two. We'll go to the pitching side of things for a minute. One guy that is worth highlighting right now is Alex Pham, who is working as a starter after being primarily a reliever in college. Coming into this week, Pham was third in the organization in strikeout percentage behind only Cade Povich and Gene Pinto, two guys that we consider to be kind of top 20, top 25 prospects. Over his last two starts, Pham has a 17 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio, which includes 11 strikeouts against Hudson Valley last week. Just to give a little bit of background fan, because he's not a guy that we have highlighted a lot on this show. He was the 19th round pick out of San Francisco by the Orioles in the 2021 draft. Last year, he went to Delmarva, got off to a dominant start out of the Shorebirds bullpen before being promoted to Aberdeen. He barely gets to Aberdeen and about a month in, goes on the IL, misses about two months before coming back. And the results were pretty uneven, to say the least. Struck out 30 batters in 20 and two-thirds. Walked 11 in that span and posted the 5.66 ERA. That was exclusively out of the bullpen. Now he's appeared in six games this year and has four starts total, 23 in the third innings pits, 34 strikeouts, 12 walks, and a 1.93 ERA. His underlying data is also very good. So you can look at that and realize that it might not be a complete fluke. So, Nick, I'll start with you on this one because you were actually the one who posted the strikeout percentage tweet. Uh, to our account on Monday at BSL on the Verge. Fam's not a name that I think we would have penciled into that back in March or even the very beginning of the season, but he's worked his way into, at least statistically, the first few weeks of the season, the top tier of pitchers in the Orioles farm system. Yeah, I did not expect to see Alex Fam pitching as well as he has been this year. And I've been a fan of his since he was drafted, but mostly because he's got a kind of ridiculous curveball there and he's like five foot something i think he's listed at like 511 but i think that is very generous by like three or four inches uh and he's got he's come from this small school so like i wasn't expecting a ton in terms of like prospect status with fam but now i'm kind of watching him wondering is this a guy who we see make a name for himself in Bowie by the end of the year like he's got a four pitch mix so he's got that starter's toolbox to work with the fastball velo is not going to blow you away but uh, again, I'll, we, I think we talked about him when we highlighted him on the last segment a couple weeks ago, but Jeff Ponce was at a game, saw Alex Pham, had a good tweet out, put out, you know, the fastball velo is only like 91, 92, so it's not going to blow you away, but it's got good ride. He's got a slider, changeup, and that multiplane curveball. And the thing that impressed me the most with Pham, when I was looking at his game log, I hadn't realized that half of his outings this year have come against Hudson Valley. So three out of six times he's taken the mound. He's pitching against the same team. Like you mentioned, Hudson Valley pounded Aberdeen in that first series. Um, and Fam gave up. He made the start, gave up seven runs, 
in three and a third innings. Only four of those earned, but still seven runs in three and a third innings. Walk three, struck out four. And he's faced him two more times since then. He's thrown a combined nine innings, allowed one run on four hits with 16 strikeouts and two walks. It's like when you repeatedly get matched up against the same team and get better and better in each outing, I'm paying attention. And I mean, his last two starts against two different teams, Hudson Valley and I think Brooklyn, both of them are five innings, one hit, no runs. And so like, that's absurd. And I don't know if I'm ready to like put him in my top 50 rankings, but I'm watching him closely now and not just like a, oh, he's fun to watch, you know, because I'm a nerd and nerd out on these minor league games, but he's fun to watch. And could this guy like make it in double A? I don't know. Yeah, he's like the anti Elias guy who's he's a little bit shorter. Usually you got he goes after these super tall, you know, <laughs> Goliaths and even Jared Beck even taller than that. Um, but it's 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 interesting, right? I did not expect him to be getting these four or five inning stints. Like I didn't expect him to start games. I thought he was like a two inning at a time, maybe three bullpen guy. And here he comes out this year starting age 23. It seems like same with Daniel Fetterman. There's a bunch of guys who it's like undrafted or a late pick. And all of a sudden they're starting after seemingly being a reliever and they find success. This organization is pretty good at that so far in the minors. We'll see how it, it carries up. But fam, you know, last, last season in high A, he had 20.2 innings pitched five, six, six ERA, but his FIP was 3.61. The, over 20 in a two-thirds, I said that. Uh, this year, over 23 and a third innings, he's got a 1.93 ERA and a 3.61 FIP. So identical FIP, not identical ERAs. Strikeout rate were the same between the two seasons. Walk rate, pretty much everything was pretty similar other than BABIP. So I think maybe they saw this, you know, beyond the the base numbers last year and we're like, okay, we might have something here. And and so far this year, he's shown it a lot. That's a good point, Bob. And something I wanted to touch on, which is that we have seen a lot of guys that were primarily relievers up until this year working out of Aberdeen's rotation. And we know that last year, two of the big breakouts in the Orioles farm system on the pitching side were Ryan Watson and Noah DeNoyer, who had worked primarily as relievers. And then in Watson's case, worked mainly as a starter at double-A. DeNoyer got more starts than I think we would have expected him to at the beginning of the year. So is there something you think this organization looks at to try to figure out if you take a guy that was like Pham, primarily reliever in college, and figure out can he be effective over five or six innings? And what are those attributes that maybe they look for? Seems like a hoppy fastball, number one. You have feel for a breaking ball you at least have feel for a few other pitches outside of your fastball. And then I feel like they think they can teach you the sweeper and the changeup. I think that's pretty much the recipe at this point. So yeah, so far so good. hopefully keeps up. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of these guys, I mean, they're Alex fam's the exception here because he's so, I don't want to say tiny, but compared to some of these, his peers, he is kind of tiny, but I mean, you look at their repertoires, like Ryan Watson throws like five different pitches I'm pretty sure all these guys have such deep repertoires that it's just about refining it and giving them an opportunity to kind of throw these pitches. I mean, I'm looking at too, we get depending on where they pitch. Sometimes we get, I remember like Dylan Hyde pitched in the MLB draft league. So we got a lot of those. You can find a lot of the tweets from the MLB draft league accounts, looking at kind of the you know spin rates and everything on a lot of his pitches. And I think of someone like Ryan long, I mean, on this Aberdeen roster. I mean, he was someone after the draft. I think it was one of the facilities he was working out at. I mean, they posted a clip. He was throwing like six different pitches and just some crazy spin rates, uh, good velo numbers, good movement profiles in some of these pitches. I mean, that's what they're looking for. They're not, they're looking for, don't worry about what position you pitch at in college and how the college coach uses you. They're looking at the underlying metrics on these pitches, pitch shape, all that good stuff. We can build you up into a starter. It doesn't take that long. Uh, look at Fam; it took him two years uh, in the system, barely. We can build Ryan Watson. Good example as well. We can build you up in this system if you've got the goods. And maybe they just didn't get that opportunity in college, and the Orioles are giving them that opportunity. Noah Denoyer as well. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I don't know what the long game is. I mean, obviously, you're looking to find your 
Christian Javier's, the Framber Valdez of the world, but also feel like maybe they might see just multi-inning relievers in general being a little bit underrated right now. That money ball aspect where you got guys who can come in, go one time through a lineup and, uh, and shut them down. And I think maybe that's what they're building an army of that they can go through in the minor leagues. We'll turn our discussion back over to hitters. And one guy that has caught my eye in recent weeks, because he got off to such a slow start and now seems to be climbing out of it, is Max Wagner. Uh, Wagner got off to a very slow start at Aberdeen this year, but has started to pick things up of late. Coming into Tuesday, he had a 975 OPS in the month of May with four home runs. That was after a very sluggish April. Uh, what is interesting, though, and I've been the one on this show who says don't read too much in the minor league platoon splits, and I'll reiterate that here again, but this is also not something we see a lot from a right-handed hitter which is that Wagner is significantly worse against right-handed pitching than he is left-handed pitching. Uh, coming into Tuesday night, 18 games, 27 at-bats against lefties. He had a 370 average with an OPS of over 1,000. 28 games and 78 at-bats against right-handers, a 128 average and a 558 OPS. Now, in Tuesday night's game, before it went into a delay, we don't know if they're going to resume yet or not, Wagner did have two hits off of a right-handed pitcher. But still interesting to see those platoon splits this early in the year. And, Nick, we actually talked about this a little bit coming into tonight. So, Wagner, it feels like, is a very hard guy to get a read on. And my theory on it is that it's easy to group him into the same category as Dylan Beavers and Judd Fabian, when in reality, Wagner, although a college hitter, just like Fabian and Beavers and part of the same draft class, might be a little bit more raw than those two guys at this point. So what have your impressions been so far of him? Yeah. Like I just mentioned, I think Dylan Beavers was a project, right? And it's, he was drafted like 33rd overall, I think super high ceiling. If he hits, if he doesn't hit, like we know the odds of guys hitting, right? These draft prospects, but if he does hit, I mean, you've, you've nailed the 33rd overall draft pick. And Max Wagner is even more of a project though, because he has such limited playing time in college. And but you look at the growth already, and he hit 154 in April with a 506 OPS, and now in May, Tuesday not included, where like you mentioned, he's got two hits. I think it was two for two. If I can't remember, can't look it up right here. Yeah, two for two with a walk uh, tonight so far. So not including tonight, he's got a uh, 250 average with a 975 OPS in May, and all that comes actually on the year. He only has a 224 batting average on balls in play, so maybe a little bit of bad luck there as well. He's striking out a lot, but the walk rate is still around 12%, and the power is really starting to come through. He's also, which adds a little bit more weirdness to this Max Wagner, I don't really understand you profile, is he's got 10 stolen bases uh, on these, 10 for 12 in stolen base attempts. He stole four bases in college at Clemson in total. So he already has three times that as a pro. He had a couple of last year as well. So he's got 12 stolen bases as a pro. He had four in college. And I know like Aberdeen's got some speedsters like Valdez, Jackson Holiday, Dylan Beavers, like these guys you expect to swipe bags, but I don't know if it's like rule changes, playing on turf so often, because I think Brooklyn and some other these seems like a lot of these high A fields are also like turf fields. I don't know if it's some of that, or they're just facing teams with bad catchers that you know, Roberto Mercado's like just run, just run. When you get on base, you got the green light, go. I don't know, but Max Weiner just adds more to this confusing profile that I don't know if I fully understand. Power hitting third baseman, though, with speed, I'll take it. I mean, he's... To, I, I don't know if I'm going to have any like definite or like hardcore takes about Max Wagner this year just because he is so much of a, pros, uh, a project. He's very young. He's only, what, 21? I think he's still 21 right now. Yeah, so he's a very young college bat who didn't play that much at Clemson. I know he's a second round pick and people are going to want to see instant production from him, but he's so young. I think he's got a much longer leeway here. And I like that the Orioles are going after draft picks like this because the farm system is so stacked. It gives you plenty of opportunity for guys like Wagner to just kind of sit back in high A, maybe take a little bit longer in double A and develop. And let's see what happens with him. But I'm happy with the the growth we've seen in the last, just the last what, two weeks we've seen from him. Yeah, he doesn't turn 22 until late August. So 
definitely was drafted young, kind of like Trimble, Rhodes, and and guys like that who are college picks, but on the young side. And honestly, if you take out his first five games where he went 0 for 21 or something like that, his season looks a whole lot better overall. Just taking those first five games out since April 13th, he's batting 235 with an 836 OPS, 124 WRC+, 13.5% walk rate, 27% strikeout rate is a little high, but we, we mentioned he's raw. 8.9 speed rating, 2.3 or 0.235 ISO. So honestly, by the end of the season, hopefully he'll make those first five games irrelevant. But yeah, that was a, a very notable thing. I think even on in our WhatsApp group, we're like, well, Max Wagner, no hits this season so far for like a week. Um, but ever since then, he's slowly come around. And and yeah, I like Nick, I'm not exactly sure what to make of him, but I do like that. You know, they moved him to lead off, I think, and that's when he eventually got off his uh, streak to start the year. Seemed maybe a little confidence thing going on, but I like the way he's been hitting the ball lately. He can definitely hit the ball far when he gets a hold of one. This will put a little bit of Wagner's inexperience in the context, or at least relative inexperience in the context. He will not turn 22 until August 19th of this year. His career at Clemson began in 2021, and he had only 99 plate appearances across 35 games that season. He started the 2022 season on the bench, but then worked his way into the lineup and had a breakout year with 27 homers and an OPS of over 1,300, which led to the Orioles selecting him in the second round last year. At the time of the draft last year, we noted, and a lot of national outlets noted as well, that this was a helium pick. This was a guy who caught fire in the spring, never stopped hitting, and the Orioles clearly like something in his profile, but he's going to you know, take a little bit of time and take a little bit of work. This is something to think about, which is that we know that down in Delmar, like Carter Young is another college hitter that is going to require a lot of work. Do you feel like Wagner is maybe kind of a notch above Carter Young at this point and below Fabian and Beavers, or how do you see that? Definitely a notch above Carter Young. Um, Carter Young, he can take a walk. He can take a walk and he can play defense. Um, you know, got to get that hit tool up and running a little bit. I, I'm not giving up on him by any means. He's also another young college draft pick who's only 21. So, yeah, but I think Max Wagner is more proven than that. Clearly not on the Fabian or Beavers level for me at this point. But, yeah, Carter Young, at least we spent the money. Yeah, I, like I just mentioned, it's the way how deep this farm system is. It affords the Orioles the opportunity to take bigger project guys, and so like Carter Young can be that project guy. He's a high risk, high reward guy, and I like that they're doing it. I hope this upcoming draft class. We're not going to get into that tonight, but I hope this upcoming draft class we see more of that. We see this team take more risk. Um, I mean, unless you're playing, I don't envision the Orioles unloading the farm system this year, going uh, all AJ Preller quite yet. Hopefully there is a trade or two when we see some big names moved. But, you know, it's still so deep that every position pretty much that you can afford to take on guys like this. Um, I, I think don't look at Judd Fabian's kind of just basic stat line, like box score stat line right now. I think he's playing better than his overall numbers. Like I mentioned that Connor Norby S season in high Aberdeen. His defense, he is a true center field prospect. If the bat wavers a little bit, the defense has not wavered at all. Uh, I haven't watched a lot of Max Wagner defensively over at third base, so I can't really speak to that. But, I mean, yeah, I'd say he's the ceiling is close to Fabian's. Um, but, yeah, it's Wagner is, I mean, this is a guy. If you sit and let him cook a little bit longer, let him develop in high A, take the lumps, sit back and, and take the lumps. I think we could be rewarded with a pretty highly regarded prospect here. And a guy who, once he reaches double a buoy starts to show out a little bit more, he starts to see even more power. And then that becomes a guy that I don't know where like the national outlets have him in the top 30, but this is a guy who I could see with a good year, very quietly. I don't think he's a guy that many people are going to talk about very much, but very quietly jumping into like the top 10 to 15 range by the end of the year. Yeah, and it feels more like a, a Hudson Haskin type who kind of goes under the radar, just level by level, year by year, 
doesn't get invited to spring training, but then rakes AAA before injuring his hamstring. And where is he? Um, off topic. But, uh, yeah, I think he's the guy that you're just going to – you're not going to see people again clamoring for uh, call him up, promote him. But at the end of the day, in three years, he could be a very important piece, whether it's in a, a trade or to come up. Like Nick said, we haven't had a chance to see a lot of his defense this year, but coming into this year, a lot of national outlets did have it graded pretty highly, especially the arm strength. We had him around the early 20s coming into our list uh, preseason. So I think that's where most national outlets had him. So Wagner with a good year, and depending on what happens above him in the farm system in terms of guys getting graduated or maybe traded or maybe some players regressing, which doesn't seem to be happening yet, but you always allow for the possibility of that, that he could be in that 10 to 15 range because – you look at the tools, he's got a couple of loud tools. He's got the power. He's got the arm strength to play third base. And those are all things that work well for him. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I also haven't seen a ton of his defense at third base, but I think the book on him was that he was okay over there with some potential, and maybe he moves around a little bit. Obviously, I think that's what the Orioles do. They move you around. Look, Jordan Westberg has been playing right field a little bit. Anthony Santander has been playing first base at the pro level, the mixing match. Taron Vavra behind the plate, third catcher emergency. So versatility is key, but the bat's what's going to get you there. We'll shift our attention back to Aberdeen's pitching staff now because we got to talk about, of course, one of our favorites here at On the Birds, Team Pinto. Pinto was pitching well enough to go to double-A Bowie at this rate. Uh, he is now seven starts into his season, 30 and a third innings pits. He has struck out 49 batters and walked just 12, posting an ERA of 2.08. The one flaw that Pinto had last year at Aberdeen was his walk rate. So despite the fact that he struck out 103 batters in 91 and two-thirds innings there last year, you could look at his numbers and see that the walk rate of 4.5 per nine innings was a little high and that maybe if he went back to Aberdeen and get his command under control, he would be refined for Bowie. He has now gotten that walk per nine down to 3.6 at Aberdeen to start the season off. And the strikeouts are much higher than they were a year ago. So you're kind of wondering at this rate, why is he not in Bowie? I think he's going to be the first guy up from Aberdeen's pitching staff. I think Justin Armbruster could be in Norfolk before too long. But, Bob, you kind of had an interesting thought about this, which is that we are still looking at a log jam in this organization of pitching at this AAA level, that's keeping guys like Pinto from moving up right now. Yeah, it's funny. For It's it's interesting because the AA lineup could use, what, four or five guys, <laughs> but the pitching staff could use four or five guys to get out of there to create room for the guys in high A who deserve to be up. It's for a team whose cupboard is bare when it comes to pitching. You have, like, eight legitimate starters that are, you know, tandeming in Bowie. And Pinto deserves to be one of them. Um, he has lowered his walk rate by 2%, but he has raised his strikeout rate by 13%. He's more than doubled his strikeout-to-walk percentage. And his numbers are just ridiculous right now. I saw a tweet from at Prospect Tilt uh, that said, only three qualified pitchers age 23 or younger have a strikeout rate over 13 and a swinging strike percentage over 18. That's Christian Mena in double A, but his swing and strikeout rate is 18.3. Ben Brown between double and triple A, 18.5. Gene Pinto, 19.8. I don't think it's uh, it's hit people. We were on this train. Just let it be known. <laughs> we were on the Gene Pinto train very early. He's about to take off. That swinging strike uh, percentage is top five, six in all of minor league baseball, and he's still pretty young. He's 22 all season long. He'll be in double A before you know it, striking out or getting people to swing and miss more than DL Hall, more than anybody in the Orioles system. So we called it. Yeah, people still don't listen to us. Um, I, my thoughts about Gene Pinto is just like, why is this man still in Aberdeen? I thought last week he was, he, the tweet was going to come. We were going to get the tweet from Bowie. Welcome to Bowie Gene Pinto. It didn't happen. All right. He has another great week in Aberdeen. Probably his best week. He Did he pitch twice last week? I can't remember if he pitched twice or not. He did. Uh, another great week in Aberdeen. 
still doesn't get promoted. Two weeks, nobody getting promoted. Um, but I think one of you guys made this point earlier. There's, I think with the way promotions worked last year, it, there's some weird timing going on. So I don't think we're going to see as many promotions and the craziness like we saw last year. But another point, like for me, it's everybody's clamoring. Why isn't Jordan Westbrook in the major leagues? I want to know why Gene Pinto is not in Bowie right now. I mean, he's got the second highest strikeout percentage in the organization behind Kane Povich, and it's at 39.2%, which is absurd. You mentioned the lowered walk rate. It's down 2% from last year. Is 9.6% still too high? Yes, but when you're striking out nearly 40% of hitters, you've got a 2.08 ERA, a 2.22 FIP, a near 50% ground ball rate, a whip of right around one. I mean, there's there's nothing else you can prove in high A. He had 91 innings in high A last year. He's already up to 30 innings this year in high A showing notable improvements across the board. I think he's outperforming the breakout year he had in Delmarva at this rate. I, I think it's just time for a new challenge. And even if you have to stick him in Bowie's bullpen, I do it. Just get him to Bowie already. But I mean, regardless, like I, I'm happy to see the improvements. I'm happy to see him getting back on track. Uh, you mentioned the swinging strike rate. I actually saw a tweet. This was probably a little bit older. So yeah, at, at one point he had, I think it was at TJ stats on Twitter this is from about 10 days ago, so I don't think it included an update. But at one point, a week ago, he had the second highest swinging strike rate in all of high A and a 39% call strike plus whiff percentage. That's insane. An insane number. So he is pounding the strike zone more often this year, and these high A hitters cannot touch him. Put him in double A, and let's see what he can do against double A at bats because I, I think he's done at high A. Last week may have been Pinto's best week of the season so far. Combined in two outings against Hudson Valley, he went eight in the third innings, struck out 15, only walked two, and allowed one run on three hits. The Renegades hitters batted just 107 against him with a 372 OPS. So pretty much dominated what is a good high A lineup in Hudson Valley. Yeah, we got to get away from Hudson Valley. They're a good team, and Aberdeen has been playing them nonstop. Yes, yeah. please fix it up from here. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if the velo is, we've seen it bump in the velo these last week or so, last couple of weeks with Pinto. I know very early on in the year, he was what, like 89, 88 to like 90, 91 or so. Uh, there was that game against Hudson Valley. I remember the broadcaster was like, when Pinto cruised with the broadcaster was like, I don't think he's eclipsed 90 miles per hour because he was just slider, 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 slider. Maybe he is just a fastball slider guy as he moves up the ranks, but he's a pretty darn good one. Like, just move this guy up already. We, we've got to see him against better competition. Yeah, the slider is ridiculous. The changeup is pretty good as well. The fastball, it's super inconsistent. I saw him pitch three times live last year. The first time, he barely cracked 90. Second time, he's pumping 95, 96. And then the third time, he was like 90 to 92. So, Definitely need some consistency there. He might be just a multi-inning reliever type long-term, but I think he'll be a good one. So, yeah, still justifiably high in our rankings. Speaking of strikeouts, let's talk about Cade Povitz now. Povitz last week against Harrisburg had what is really his best start of the season so far. Five shutout innings allowed just three hits, one walk against 10 strikeouts. So in terms of game score, Povitz puts up a 70 in this one. He had a higher one against Richmond a few weeks ago, which was 73. But both outings are pretty dominant when you consider the totals across the board. And an interesting thing about Povitz has come out in the last week or so. Earlier this month, he did an interview with Glenn Clark over at Pressbox. You can go to Pressbox.com to listen to that or to read an article about the interview. And we've talked about before how Povitz has a repertoire that's five or six pitches deep. In that interview, he noted that he does have a deep repertoire, but that he's actually kind of put the slider on the back burner and is mainly focusing on four pitches so far. That formula, if that's what he carried into Richmond and that's what he's had to this point, has been really successful for him. As we noted, he has the highest strikeout percentage of any pitcher in the Orioles minor league system to this point in the season. And across the board, over six games, he has held hitters to an opponent's average of 210 with a 582 OPS. He has struck out 44 batters in 26 and two-thirds innings pits while walking 10 and giving up just one home run in that span. 
So Povich really does seem to be locked in right now. Bob, I'll start with you. We knew coming into this year that Povich had the potential to climb even higher. And if you looked at Kylie McDaniel's rankings over at ESPN, you knew that that was top 100 potential. But how far can he go this year? I think he could make his major league debut in September, honestly, just get a taste if things continue to go perfectly, basically. But I think bare minimum, he's pitching every five days in AAA to set himself up to come into spring training next year, competing for a spot, probably not getting one, but at least competing for a spot, kind of like D.L. Hall, Grayson. Well, Grayson had a little bit of a uh, advantage coming into the spring, but kind of like D.L. Hall and that type of thing where he can get some starts in spring training next year, be a late cut, and then be one of the first guys up come uh, first half of the year next year. And it, it's pretty interesting that he's had three one like really bad start, two other not great starts, and yet he's got a 3.37 ERA, a 1.43 FIP, 1.65 XFIP. Like his BABIP is 3.364, so he's been kind of unlucky with that. It's just if he has his command, forget it, you're done. Um, the fastball command, I think, is the last thing that needs needs to come around the curveball is ridiculous i think that's his best pitch it's he seems like he can spot it whenever he wants but the fastball when he's got that plus his other stuff it's it's tough to hit i think kylie mcdaniel might be ahead of the game when it comes to kate povich being a top 100 prospect because i think by the end of the year he might be on a few other ones as well yeah we're still talking about povich uh I'm in a closet for people not watching live since I'm in the middle of a move. I was in a closet and I forgot my charger and there are no outlets in the closet. So now I'm out of breath. Um, yeah, yeah. Povich is like this. I actually, I didn't read or see the interview he did there with, uh, um, Glenn Clark, but I did read John Mealy's piece of the Baltimore banner. And I think it kind of hit on some of the same things about how he's ditching the slider and moving towards the cutter because Mealy's piece, he talked a lot about Povich, knowing and the organization obviously knowing but povich being this kind of prototype growth mindset guy and being someone who was very adamant about preparing for facing lineups at the major level that are stacked with righties and so getting ditching the slider and going with the cutter because the four seamer kind of tails away from righties but the cutter runs in on righties and so i mean this is you know it's He's got a 3.38 ERA right now, and the FIP is 1.43 with a 1.65 XFIP. So, I mean, even with his two quote-unquote bad starts this year, he's got 14 strikeouts and just two walks. And he's pitched about the same number of innings in Bowie this year as he did last year, and the strikeout rate is up from 25% to 40%, and the ground ball rate's up to 52%, and the walks are down. Like I just think... I think a couple of things with Povich. He's firmly established himself as the third best pitching prospect in this system. And if you want to say he's ahead of D.L. Hall, I would not argue you. To be honest, I think the ceiling is probably higher than Hall's. Maybe it's a bit of prospect fatigue with D.L. Hall, but I think Povich has a deeper pitch mix and he's got better control, obviously, which you know isn't a terribly hard thing to do. But I, he's not far away from a promotion, but I think the thing with Povich is Clearly, from the interview he did, John Mioli's piece, he's the Orioles are trying to work with him on finding the pitch mix that works best. And now it's about creating that, getting that feel back for some of these pitches. He talked about not having a feel for the cutter uh, since like spring or last year. So back in spring training, when he put the cutter back in his repertoire, having to get a feel for that pitch. So I think some of those quote unquote bad outings, which haven't really been bad because he's still not walking guys and still striking out a lot of guys. And he's been one of the unluckiest pitchers in all of minor league baseball this year. The BABIP is like absurdly high, I think. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. But I think what you're seeing is maybe, all right, when you get in this count, only throw this pitch. Like We don't know what the game plan is going into some of these starts. So I think it's, hey, even if it's uncomfortable, even if they know it's coming, throw the cutter at all times when you're in this count. And if they hit it, that's fine. But the Orioles don't care if they hit it. If you give up a home run on the pitch, if you hit your location, all the metrics look good. Pitch shape looks good. You're hitting your spots. That's what matters most. It's process over results down in the minor leagues. And I think that's important to keep in mind with Povich because the strikeout rate is absurd. And I think it's just 
throw these pitches. You may not feel comfortable throwing them in this count or in this situation, but keep throwing it. If they hit it, they hit it, but just throw it. And so I think that's kind of what we're seeing in these bad starts with him, which have actually been pretty dominant. And it is interesting that you say you might put Pervich over Hall at this point, and I'm kind of getting there. I think Pervich has a better chance of sticking as a starter, especially since we just found out tonight that D.L. Hall pitched three innings as a deloading process to, sounds like, get him ready to come up to the majors out of the bullpen. So if if his, uh, at least for this year, his chances of a starter uh, are going down, then yeah, I think you can definitely make the argument that Povich should be overhauled. Yeah, that's not a hot take to say that Povich is better than Hall. Um, and I'm someone who, in our you know recent update for patrons, still had Hall over Povich. But Povich does have the deeper pitch mix. And what's interesting is if you look in the terms of his development, um, he has been very good against left-handed hitters this year, as well as right-handed hitters. Right-handed hitters are only hitting 227 against him with a 599 OPS. And I mentioned earlier, he's only allowed one home run. Half of his starts to this point have come at home in Bowie, which we know is a home run hitter's park. We know that if you make a mistake at Bowie and you leave a pitch hanging, that ball could go out of the ballpark. Um, And Chase McDermott, who has been really successful overall so far this season, has run into that problem in some of his starts. You're not seeing that with Povitz. You know, it's really, I think, just for him – about finding, like Nick said, that pitch mix that works for him, throwing strikes with that pitch mix consistently, getting the results that I could see him in AAA sometime in the next couple of months easily. Hypothetical here because I, I remember a while ago someone making a comment along these lines in on Twitter to one of a, a Kate Povich post and kind of hinting at the fact like could – at the end of the year, Galaxy bringing in this a little bit because, I mean, Povich still, he's got to get this feel for his mix. He's still got some things to smooth out, we'll say, in AA before he even gets promoted to AAA. So I agree with, we're probably not going to see him in AAA for a couple more weeks at least. And we know the Orioles are extremely hesitant in promoting guys once you get to AAA. But if Povich is still striking guys out at an absurd rate in AAA and things are going well, could you see any scenario where they add him to the roster late in the season as this high octane lefty reliever out of the bullpen. I absolutely could. Yeah. Especially if as I mean, we're what 27 and 15 now. Yeah. 27 to 15. Yeah. If we're still in the thick of it for a division title, or even just wild card, even just if we make the playoffs to have that weapon that there's not a lot of tape on, I mean, yeah, why not? Might All hands even, on deck. Might even necessarily need to be as a weapon. It could be as a guy that's, you know, all right, we need to make sure our starters are ready for the playoffs. Let's put Cade Povitz in the bullpen because, you know, we might only want to throw Tyler Wells four or five innings in some of his starts down the stretch. Grayson Rodriguez, we know, is going to be managed conservatively down the stretch. And I think there's a case for managing Kyle, you know, Kyle Bradis a little bit that way because he doesn't have a lot of major league time under his belt. So Povitz could help out in that regard, because if D.L. Hall goes into the bullpen, it's probably going to be a short outing uh, relief stint. And you're going to wonder, does he pitch well enough that if CNL Perez continues to get, you know, kind of mixed to below average results, that you can feel comfortable letting him go, knowing you have Hall there as your insurance policy to be the lefty that can get guys out late in the game. Keegan Aiken wasn't really used as a long guy when he was in the bullpen before he got options. So if Povitz is in the major leagues, I almost see him as kind of that backup option where you're going to give your starters a little bit of a breather down the stretch because you want them ready for the playoffs. And you could go to Cade Povitz for two or three innings out of the bullpen. And you see Povitz as a legitimate candidate to make the rotation out of spring training in 2024. Because if you see that, then – why not give him a shot in the major leagues, even if you don't really use him that much, just to let him have that time up in the major leagues, that experience of being hopefully in the playoff chase before he goes into 2024 looking to compete for a rotation spot. I like. I thought it was an interesting comment. Uh, I'm glad you guys – that's kind of the same way I felt. And But 
I'm not going to get too excited though, because I mean Jordan Westberg has an OPS of like 5,000, and he's still going to stay in AAA, so I'm not getting my hopes up anymore. But it is something interesting to think about there uh, with with Povich, because I mean he's he's a bigger weapon than Drew Rom. He's a could potentially be a bigger weapon than DL Hall. I mean at this point, I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean DL Hall had a decent outing tonight, I guess, but he's kind of up and down, and I don't really know at this point what the future holds for DL Hall. So. We always talked about like, well, could DL Hall be the guy that comes up at the trade deadline? And he's that kind of weapon that you know, teams overpay for at the deadline. Maybe not so early as the trade deadline time, but you know, could Cade Povich be that guy instead of DL Hall? I don't, I don't know. He's got to keep pitching well though. But so far, he's off to a great start. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll go now into our final segment of the week where we like to shout out uh, players who are outside of our top thirty list. For something they've done recently, whether it's a good game, a good week, something interesting in their stat line that we want to note. And I'm going to go to Bob on this one because we're going to kind of turn the conversation back to the Ironbirds, specifically their pitching staff. Because there was a guy we didn't mention in our conversation earlier because I knew Bob was going to recognize him here, deservedly so, in the final segment. Yeah, Jake Lyons, a 2019 draft pick, 22nd round. Again, big, big guy, six foot five, 280 pounds. You know, he's 24, going to be 25 in three or four months. But, and he's still in high A. After t- getting a taste of double A last year, you think, what? what is there really to say about him? Well, how about a 2.41 ERA over 18 and two-thirds innings, 1.83 FIP, 2.89 XFIP. He's striking out 36.8% of batters, only walking 7.9%. I mean, this last week he had, what? nine strikeouts over four innings, seven strikeouts over three innings the time before that. So just racking up the Ks, not walking many guys. His last two outings, zero walks to 16 strikeouts in seven innings. I mean, that's crazy. Um, Another guy who probably should be in Bowie considering his age and what he's doing, but clearly they've been working on him. It's like the long game. Um, You know, the 2019 draft will never die. Um, Even if it's just as a reliever again multi-inning reliever these guys are coming up like felix bautista he came up out of nowhere skyrocketed these older guys even if they're still hanging around high a double a and they're a little bit older transition them to the bullpen let them just let it eat and they can rise up pretty quickly Uh, so just wanted to shout him out and then a completely different direction is 20 year old victor gonzalez who the Orioles acquired in a trade, was it uh, the Kevin Smith trade? He was a player to be named later, maybe. But he's an infielder who was international signee. But it's just, it's always going to be interesting to me when you see guys jump up to full season ball before the FCL season even starts. Um, doesn't mean a whole lot. Luis Gonzalez came up and he's been pretty bad um, for the Shorebirds. But Victor Gonzalez did come up. He's had eight plate appearances. He is one for seven with a hit by pitch. Um, he had an interesting stat line last year in the FCL. Only 36 plate appearances, but he had a 105 WRC plus despite only hitting 120. He had a 27.8% walk rate and a 389 on base. So the ultimate Gunnar Henderson there. Um, but yeah, just shout out to him for making it up to full season ball for the first time. I like both those guys and to go back to Aberdeen real quick actually before I talk about my guys I don't have Aberdeen guys um, but some guys we didn't mention even out of the bullpen Keegan Gillis season line is nine innings no hits no runs two walks 15 strikeouts he's 6'8 225 pounds of pure fireball coming out of that uh, Aberdeen bullpen that's great to see he was hurt all year last year uh, so he's fully healthy and dominating Nick Richmond, 9.2 innings, four hits, no runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. And then Ryan Long, 22 and a third innings pitch, 2.01 ERA, 0.85 whip, 29 strikeouts to nine walks in those 22 innings. Just absurd pitching down there in Aberdeen. But my guys uh, this week that I wanted to highlight, uh, I'm going to go down to Delmarva for the pitcher and go to Jared Beck. I think we touched on him earlier, the seven-foot lefty. Four scoreless innings in an outing last week with four strikeouts. He's been used as the starter bulk relief innings guy this year. The ERA is over five, but the FIP is 4.15 and the XFIP is 3.86. 
The strikeout rate has climbed higher and higher over his last couple outings. 50% ground ball rate. I I just think if the organization can unlock his control with that massive frame, he's going to be a fun storyline to follow. And you talk about like can't miss prospects. He's literally a can't miss prospect at seven feet tall. But and then I'm going to go up to Norfolk in a completely like non-prospect direction just to talk about Lewin Diaz for a minute because everyone else in that Norfolk lineup gets all the hype, but Lewin Diaz was hovering around an OPS of a thousand for a long time there. And he's coming off probably the worst week of the season, but we had kind of slim pickings this week for this segment. So I just wanted to highlight Lewin Diaz because on the year, he's got a 299 average and a 404 on base percentage, 125 WRC plus and a 15% walk rate with a sub 20% strikeout rate. You compare his numbers this year to his last two years in AAA with Miami. The walk rate's up. The average is up like 40, 50 points. Uh, We talk about Joey Ortiz and Jordan Westberg being at the top of the exit via the leaderboards most nights, but Diaz is right there with them. And I have no idea where he gets a shot at with the Orioles because he's strictly first base DH. So I don't really think there's room because it appears now that Santander is now the backup first baseman. But He's having a great year so far, and you know, if another team sees what he's doing in the Orioles system, maybe they give up something for him over the next couple of weeks. Opens up more at bats for Heston Kerstad because he's getting promoted to Norfolk sometime soon, and you know, we'll see if he can keep it up for the next few weeks. But so far, just shout out to Lewin Diaz. Kudos to him after a, a crazy offseason. I think he's out to prove everybody that he's worth that shot. He, we know he's been claimed before, so it could happen again. Um, and good shout on Keegan Gillis, who, again, speaking of the next Felix Bautista, Yin Yerkano, who could just quickly rise to the top. Him and a guy Zach's going to talk about are some good candidates. Yeah, and I will start there with my pitcher for this week, and that is Wanda St. Charles, who had another good outing on Tuesday night as we were recording the show, recorded the win for the Bay Sox, his first of the season. He is now, with Tuesday's outing included, up six and two-thirds innings pitched, on the year with 11 strikeouts compared to three walks. He came over from the Oakland organization in the offseason, and he kind of caught our eye because he's listed at 6'4", 250 pounds, with his mound presence seems even bigger than that. His stuff can be electric at times, but he struggled with the walks mightily in Oakland system. And for evidence of that, all you have to do is look at his line at A Midland last year. 37 innings pitched, struck out 34, but walked 38 and had an ERA of over 11. The question we had coming into this season is, can the Orioles take a guy with this kind of stuff and harness his command a little bit? So far, they've been able to do that, and he's off to an excellent start at Bowie. You definitely want to keep your eye on him going forward. And for my hitter, welcome back, T.T. Bowens. Uh, It was good to see him in Aberdeen's lineup. Coming back after an injury delayed his start to the season. In his first game against Hudson Valley, he went two for three with a home run. He only got two hits for the rest or one hit for the rest of the week in that series in Hudson Valley. But that was a rehab assignment for him. He's now up in Bowie. And in his uh, de- season debut for the Bay Sox tonight, one for three. So hopefully Bowens is able to go into the Bay Sox lineup and inject a little bit of much needed power for the Bay Sox. He's done that. So far over the course of his career at Delmarva and Aberdeen, he's a frequent player in this section of the show. In fact, I sometimes feel like we should just call this a T.T. Bowen segment, but it's good to have him back on the field, and hopefully he's able to add the Bowie's lineup for the rest of the season. We've got T.T. Bowen's power coming into this lineup. Uh, hopefully Toby Welk comes back sometime soon. Uh Trying to Colin see who Burns, else. where are you at? Colin, Colin Burns, he, I thought he was supposed to be back a couple of weeks ago. That hasn't yeah. happened yet. But uh, hopefully he's back. You got Connor Pavlotti and Ramon Rodriguez in the IL. I know Bowie is tough to watch a, a lot of nights because it's literally literally the top three guys in the lineup, Preto, Kerstad, Mayo, and then the rest of the lineup is it can can be kind of rough some nights. You know, John Rhodes is definitely coming around now that he's healthy, but uh, I think Bowie's got some reinforcements coming and uh they're definitely going to be an exciting team to watch again in a couple of weeks. Don't worry. Well, reinforcements to replace the guys at the top of the lineup who probably will be in AAA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that's true. They'll be they'll be a more well-rounded lineup at least. But yeah. I agree. I agree. 
we will be back next week. We're planning to be back at our regular time since we won't have to compete with Sohei Otani, uh, hopefully next Monday night. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds and check out our other social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram. Also, head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com where you can check out the latest covers on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're on the site, be sure to hop on the message board and join discussion with fellow readers as well as contributors to Baltimore Sports and Life. For Bob Taylor and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On the Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.